Welcome to The Middle. I'm Jeremy Hobson, live this evening from KCUR in Kansas City, Missouri, right on the border of Missouri and Kansas. Kansas, of course, the state that sent political shockwaves from coast to coast a few months back when voters overwhelmingly supported abortion rights in a ballot referendum, showing the power of the middle, you might say. This is our third show, and as he has been each week, DJ Anthony Valadez is with us. He is our house DJ. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Jeremy. Good to be back with you. Great to have you. And for the listeners who are new to this show, what we're trying to do is bring voices from the vast middle of the country into the national conversation. The millions of Americans who live in the middle are so important to the political process, but so often ignored by the media. Now, two weeks ago... We were in my hometown of Urbana, Illinois, and last week we were in Fort Myers on the Gulf Coast of Florida, and we were taking your calls last week about climate change and how it's affecting you and what, if anything, you want the government to do about it. And we got hundreds of calls from all over the country. Hi, Jan, here in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, this is Jacob in Hampshire, Illinois. Hi, my name's Kay. I'm in uh, rural Oklahoma. Hey, this is Mike. I live in Maine. I just wanted to comment. Uh, my wife and I have decided not to have children, particularly because of climate change. I would love to be able to afford, you know, different sources of power for my little home, but I'm retired and living on Social Security. So unless the government or someone wants to buy me that electric car, that's out. I am frustrated when the government subsidizes people's decisions to live in a floodplain. I'm very concerned about water, and there's always flooding some places and drought other places. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Bye. So many calls, Anthony. And uh, for listeners who can't get through at 844-THE-MIDDLE, uh, 844-4-MIDDLE, rather, because the lines are jammed, you can just leave a message for us. We are listening to all of them. Okay, here's what we're asking you this hour. What's an issue where you disagree with the political party you affiliate with? You can tell us. Don't be shy. Anthony, what is our number? Absolutely. The phone number is 844-4-MIDDLE. Once again, it is 844-464-3353. And remember, as we have this conversation, I want to hear from you, whatever your point of view, Democrat, Republican, there is no condescension here. We are going to have respect for one another, have a civil conversation, even when we disagree. Now, joining me tonight here in the studio are two great guests, Sarah Smarsh, a Kansas-based journalist and author of the book Heartland, a memoir of working hard and being broke in the richest country on earth. Sarah, welcome to you. Thanks, Jeremy. Now, you are a fifth-generation Kansan. What has kept you here in the middle all these years? That's a great question because I would say um, my decision to be based um, in the place I come from as a journalist who writes for national outlets is one of the more controversial decisions of my life, hmm. I suppose. Um, you know, feedback I got from colleagues early on in my career. Um, and, uh, and, and I did move away, I should say, early on. I lived in New York for a few years. I've lived in other major metropolitan areas around the country. And, um, you know, so I've been um, a reporter for about 20 years. And at the, the dawn of my career, um, news outlets in the middle, as you call it, mm -hmm. were uh, struggling and increasingly um, failing just due to the um, dawn of the digital era, basically, and scrambling to keep up with those new business models. And, and the shift to the what, what your show is addressing, this um, situation where our media centers are so, so coalesced on the coast um, in such a powerful way that sort of distorts our picture of ourselves as a country. I, I sensed that early on. And, um, you know, I, it might have been a 
represent some um, economic cost to myself, um, perhaps in career terms, but I wanted to, I felt like I could be of best service to my profession um, by being in the place that I came from, having mm-hmm. a lens, knowing the place on the ground that I was writing about, and so I came back. Well, Sarah, it's great to have you here. Our other guest in the studio with me is Mary Sanchez, a longtime columnist for the Kansas City Star, now a nationally syndicated columnist and senior reporter for Kansas City PBS. Mary, welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks you for having me. Now, it says in your bio that as the daughter of a Mexican immigrant, you believe that true culture is so much deeper than language or location. What do you mean by that? It's everything. I mean, people just look at those top points, um, but how people think about time how they speak, the cadence that they speak with, um, their reference points. Everything is just so much deeper and richer. Um, And frankly, I've been able to make a career out of looking at those things. Well, it's great to have you both here. Again, our number is 844-4MIDDLE. I want to go straight to our first caller here. Deanne uh, is on with us from Iowa City. Deanne, welcome to The Middle. Hi, thanks. Uh, The issue um, that I've been concerned about recently is immigration. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't like how it was um, presented when they came to when they went to Massachusetts and New York. But I do think that all the states should share in in the distribution um, of our fellow fellow humans that are are coming to the border and and want a better life. So, so you're talking um, about the, the governors in Texas uh, and Florida, Republican governors who sent busloads and are sending, in some cases, busloads of immigrants to northern states, including Massachusetts and New York. But you're saying, right. even if you don't agree with the, the way they're doing that, that you think that Democrats, I assume you're, you identify as a Democrat? Yes. And you think Democrats ought to be welcoming uh, people who have come into the country, undocumented immigrants, into their states as well? Yes, I think every state should take a share, um, you know, proportionally to to help with the issue. It's a national issue. It shouldn't rely, you know, primarily with the states that are at our southern border. Deanne, thank you so much for that call. Uh, Mary, let me go to you on that. This is this is something that, you know, people really have split into their parties on this issue. What do you think about what Deanne just had to say there? I actually wrote a column um, that somewhat advocated that, in that most migrants, when they first enter the country, have aspirations of going elsewhere, or they often have, particularly some of the people that are at the border right now, um, at the southern border, have other family and friends and connections, and they were they were wanting to go throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. My problem with it was that it wasn't done orderly, a press wasn't even done legally, um, you know, and people were kind of in a mishmash of where they were being sent was more of a political message. But actually what the caller is saying is part of what immigration does and has always done in the U.S. I mean, my own family, my grandmother crossed the southern border with my father. And they ended up, I mean, they were in Texas, they were in Nebraska, they were I think near Illinois. I mean, they were all over before they ended up in Kansas City, Kansas. But Republican governors in the case of uh, DeSantis in Florida and Abbott in Texas are also doing this as a way to just draw attention to the situation at the border. Absolutely. They were trying to make a political point. Um, 
And I think it is true that some states perhaps don't realize how congregated and how many the numbers. I mean, it's, it's, there's issues of humanity and how do you house people? How do you safely house people? How do you take care of their needs? How do you see them through what is basically a refugee asylum mm-hmm. process? You know, that just numbers, sheer numbers. Think about if you were going to have a dinner party and you planned for six and then 500 showed up. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit like what a lot of the border cities deal with because of issues outside of our country, in Venezuela, in Haiti. That's where people are coming from. Sarah, let me ask you, uh, somebody here, as we said, a fifth generation Kansan, if hundreds or thousands of migrants were to suddenly arrive in Kansas, would they be welcomed? Well, first let me point out that that actually um, Kansas, like many states um, in the Midwest where agriculture is a strong feature of our industry, um, are already brimming with, um, you know, diverse populations by way of immigration, um, including recent migrants. Uh, the meatpacking industry in western Kansas um, is ha- um, located in some, you know, relatively small towns that are nonetheless now what we might call minority majority mm-hmm. in, in um, racial terms. And those communities, you know, have all, you know, shifted and adapted in various ways, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think that, um, you know, their assumptions about a place like Kansas, because it goes red on a presidential election map, are that it would be unwelcoming. Uh, but when you get down to the granular level on the ground, often it's much more complicated at the community level. And some of those small towns actually need human beings for mm-hmm. population to mm-hmm. survive. Um, it might be more welcoming than folks would assume. Let's go to another call. Kelly uh, is calling from Scottsdale, Arizona. Kelly, welcome to the middle. Hello. What's an area where you disagree with your party? Well, I am I'm Republican, and I do not appreciate Trump being the head of our party at this point, or the representation, or other Republican candidates siding with him. So, does that mean you're in Arizona? Does that mean you're not going to vote for uh, Carrie Lake, who is a big ally of President Trump? Absolutely not. I will not. Hmm. Why do you think so many people in your party have stood by Trump? I think there actually are a lot more people who are not, but Trump has been such a force for so long that people are afraid to not side with him um, for the people who are very outspoken and loud. Kelly, thank you for that call. Uh, Sarah, what do you think about that? Well, I grew up in what I would describe as kind of a moderately conservative environment. I was a child during the uh, Reagan era. And, um, and and so really kind of the, the course of my life tracks with the, the rightward shift of the um, Republican Party toward the conservatism we see today. And uh, and I hear and see a, lo- a lot of that same sentiment that the caller just shared, um, this sort of um, discontent with the direction of the party and yet a kind of um, – um, not quite having found a way to articulate that, what, whether you want to look at it as the um, a more traditional form of conservatism or something new that's post-Trump, um, I think it does seem that the party's still in the, the throes of finding a way to um, name, define, and give a name to whatever that is. Uh, we're also getting some comments online. You can reach out to us on social media or at listentothemiddle.com. Tricia in Ohio says, I'm a Republican, but I do not agree with the abortion uh, stance, the stance against it. It is simply to be between a doctor and their patient. Government 
is not to be in this at all. And Dennis in Berwyn, Pennsylvania, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but uh, I don't agree with, uh, with my party on abortion rights. And we'll be right back with more on The Middle. This is The Middle. I'm Jeremy Hobson. If you're just tuning in, we are live and we are a new national call-in show focused on bringing voices from the middle of the country into the national conversation. And by the way, if you miss any of the show or you want to hear more, you can check out our podcast, The Middle with Jeremy Hobson, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to listentothemiddle.com and we'll link you to it there. My guests this hour are Mary Sanchez of Kansas City PBS and Sarah Smarsh, author of Heartland, our question, what is an issue where you disagree with the political party you affiliate with? Our number, 844-4MIDDLE. That's 844-464-3353. Let's go to Kathy in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Um, I am a Democrat, and the Democrats have taken the position that transgender women are identical to women, legally and socially. And uh, when it comes down to it in practice, there are ways that things need to be worked out about that because the way that it gets gets handled is that that imposes on the rights of women and girls. And what's happening is that it's really frustrating that that we're not really allowed to speak about that. The idea is that the Democrats have that line on it, and the more liberal you are, the more you believe that, and we're we're not we get kicked off social media sites for talking about that um all the the popular liberal people that are out there speaking speak in favor of always catering to the transgender rights which impose on some other rights well let me ask you this kathy why does that bother you what 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 upsets you about that as an issue i assume just based on your call you're not transgender yourself why does it bother you right um it it bothers me because uh, because of the women's issues and women's rights, and that we're we are expected to go ahead and, and just go along and accept men into our bathrooms, and including for teenage girls who should really have some bathroom time alone without without having that to deal with that. And um, it bothers me that that um, biological biological men men male-born people end up in women's prisons, and that is not fair at all. Um, well, th- I think we've got your point there, Kathy. Thank you so much uh, for that call. Uh, let me go to you on that, Mary. Th- this is, you know, it, it's not something, she's right that it's not something people want to talk about, because it, it does, you know, on the on the side of people who are transgender or who know people who are transgender, uh, this, this is about their own personal rights and freedom to be who they believe that they are, who they are. Uh, and and then there are other people who think this is a lot of change, you know. And um, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's it's a conversation that needs to be had in um, not quiet moments, but in moments of um, thoughtfulness and truly informed science. And you almost have to allow people to say things in an awkward way that someone else might assume is offensive without calling them out so much that you shut them down. And I, I do think that the um, you know, issues with transgender are new for some people. They don't understand gender identity as opposed to sexual orientation. 
And it's just it's just a process of education. And then unfortunately, you know, as we do have so much rhetoric around it, and the caller's right, from both sides, oftentimes those questions aren't answered for people. And mm-hmm. they're not walked through in really a, a very reasonable and helpful way. It's interesting, uh, Sarah, because it has become a very partisan issue. Um, even when you see somebody who puts he, him, or she, her on their signature on their email, you can make assumptions about what party they identify with. Sure. Yeah, there's all there's a the host a host of topics in the current discourse that have become sort of signals or symbols mm-hmm. for each side to kind of flash their colors and and understand um, which category they belong to. One of the reasons the the question tonight is so important about dissent within a given political category or group. Um, and and I totally agree with Mary that. Um, you know, as someone who who dramatically changed my views over the course of my, particularly my early young life, mm-hmm. um, the the reason was my information sources changed, and also my inf- environment, my social group changed, and often I think were, um, you know, you know, ha- hateful rhetoric. That that's one thing that that deserves no um, permission slip um, or or pass. But when someone's just earnestly trying to understand something um, in a way that, as Mary said, may be awkward, um, you know. I, Often it's it's a failure of conversation or our ability to get together and find a shared language without it breaking down along political fault lines rather than, um, you know, um, ill intent. Uh, let's go to a call from Boise, Idaho. Mark is on the line. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the middle. Hi. Glad to, glad to take my call. Uh, my concern is um, of twofold. I, I identify with neither party, have for 30 years. Uh, I'm a guy in the middle looking for uh, candidates who have character, but all I've been able to find are candidates who are characters. And uh, I have a really difficult time voting for for those individuals. I think uh, probably the two reasons. Number one, most current sitting politicians, I think, are more interested in their political careers and and the future for them, opportunities for them. And the other big part is uh, the, the... the way money plays just a, a tremendous role in what we do over the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, I get turned off. So what um, are you going to do that? What to, are you going to do on election day? Oh, well, I'm going to look at uh, my ballot and I will look for people with character. Uh, sometimes they'll be Democrats. Sometimes they'll be a Republicans. And oftentimes they're blank. I can't tell you how many times I voted for Alfred E. Newman. Uh, <laughs> well, let me ask you. Let me ask you one more thing, though. Uh, what did you do back in 2020 in the presidential election? I voted for Alfred E. Newman. Oh no, <laughs> I didn't either. In the 2020 election, I voted for a liber- Libertarian Party. Okay. Uh, the, the governor from New Mexico and the Republican governor from Massachusetts. I don't recollect their name. Well, Mark, thank you uh, for thank you for making that call uh, into the middle. We appreciate your call, and, and I have to say, Sarah, I imagine there are a lot of people uh, who don't really like either party right now. It's going to be interesting to hear if we get more calls like that mm-hmm. uh, from people who, who just don't identify with either one. Mm-hmm. 30% of registered voters in the state of Kansas are independents, in fact. 30%. Yeah, and actually that's probably about the same in a lot of states around this country. Um, let's go to uh, Caroline, who is calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Caroline, welcome to the middle. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. I'm to be on. It's great to have you. Tell us what, how you identify politically and what, what what problem you have with your party. So I would say that I I I vote 
Democratic more often than not. Um, but I would like to see much more progression from my party, um, especially in Wisconsin. We're not going to see that probably anytime soon. But I think it's really important to recognize how in well, about 100 years ago when the country was going through a lot of the same kind of problems that we sorry i'm a little bit nervous um it's okay a lot a lot of a lot of the same problems that we are going through right now um uh that we ended up actually electing three socialist mayors in milwaukee and throughout that time it was it was over 30 years i know that daniel hone had mayorship for about 24 years but you think and you think the you think that, time, that the Democratic Party, Caroline, sorry to interrupt, but you think that the Democratic Party is not getting no, progressive no. enough right now? Correct. Yeah. And and during the time when there were socialists in power in Milwaukee, we saw the, the life expectancy jump up. We saw people getting happier, people getting richer. I mean, like all in all, I don't see why we can't see more of a democratic kind of socialist movement in this country, um, especially when looking at history. Uh, thank you for that call, uh, Caroline. Now, I'm going to go to our guests here who are in a place where earlier today here in Kansas City, I was watching TV and I saw two ads for the Democratic candidates. One, Trudy Bush Valentine, who is in Missouri running for Senate, Democrat. One for Laura Kelly, who's the Democratic governor of Kansas running for reelection. Both of them looked like they were Republicans in the ads because of the things they were talking about, cut taxes, you know, uh, and then one of them opposing their, their, accusing their opponent of helping out communist China was the wording there. When you hear that call from Caroline talking about, we want the Democratic Party to be more socialist, how would that play here? Depends on who you're speaking to and how much they know about what socialism is. Um... You know, the caller had some specific examples, you know, so that's kind of a lived experience, things that she was citing. There are an awful lot of people who don't have that. And socialism, I mean, it's become one of those dog whistles, frankly. So, you know, depending on what they know, that's almost true for everything. You know, what do people really know about that term? And, or are they using it? Mm -hmm. Are they latching to how it's being used in political ads, which can swing both ways? Sarah, what about the idea, though, of Democrats who want the party to move further to the left when Republicans are already calling them out for being too far to the left? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a challenge for sure um, in a state like Kansas, where we have uh, it's the only state to have elected three um, Democratic female governors. And one of them's um, in office right now. And she faces that challenge that you're getting at where she needs Republicans and independents to vote for her. And, and tracking far left probably wouldn't get that done. Um, that said, um, the history referenced by the caller um, in her place is, is true uh, in this part of the country as well. There was uh, about 100 years ago in the early 20th century a, a, a movement called prairie populism. Uh, it was basically Eugene, uh, Eugene Debs era socialism that was um, – uh, rife among farmers and, and working class folks and uh, got a lot of traction in this part of the country. It's kind of like in the the character and the blood and the dirt here, uh, but yet it's not necessarily on the, the, the conscious mind, if that makes sense, in part because of the weaponization of the term that Mary was alluding to. So I, I do hear, um, you know, there um, ideas that would fall under the, the category of socialism, but there might be, um, you know, reticence mm -hmm. for, for embracing that term for, for fair 
better reasons. Uh, let's go to Liam in Denver, Colorado. Liam, welcome to the middle. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Tell us what party do you identify with and, and what issue do you have a problem with them on? I don't really identify too strongly with either party, but I, I tend to be more conservative. Okay. And, and what do you not like about the Republicans? I feel like gun control in this country needs to be more of a, a topic that Republicans are willing to at least entertain. Uh, you know, with the number of mass shootings we've had in this country, with school shootings, etc., there's so little Republican support for any kind of gun control that would make any sense in this country. Uh, I feel like for many Republicans, it almost seems like political suicide for them to talk about that because they lose so much of their constituents. But Republicans aren't really willing to reconcile with how much of a problem it's become in this country. Mary, what do you think about that? You're nodding your head. Well, because I'm thinking about what, you know, even the research shows, and that's a perhaps coming to the middle that is occurring from both ends of Democrat and Republican on issues with guns. Um, the fastest growing groups of gun owners are African Americans and women. And a lot of them are in urban areas. Mm -hmm. They take gun classes. They you know, go out and shoot on the range, and they have an affinity for firearms that you don't normally think of within urban populations in terms of ownership. At the same time, they'll also have those references where they'll know about stolen guns and gun violence. So when I hear the caller, I'm like, well, that's another version from another end of something that he's looking at and his party is too extreme on. The reality of what's happening on the ground is people are experiencing gun violence or gun ownership in ways that doesn't always play out in the rhetoric of either party. Sarah, just the other day, there was a murder here in this area in Kansas City. Um, it's all over the news. Uh, in, in many cities in this country, this is uh, something, in fact, we heard in even Urbana, Illinois, my hometown, where we did the show from two weeks ago, the mayor said that gun violence had been up uh, recently. Does the message from the parties on guns relate much, do you think, to the crime that people are seeing right now as we head into this election? I think that, you know, you have to parse um, kind of what Mary was getting at, the, the gulf between what's happening on the ground in terms of the hearts and minds of voters and the message coming from the party that may be, you know, like in the pocket of the NRA, um, and then this issue of what is causing gun violence. And I think that those might those are those are kind of like two separate issues. Society is at um, a breaking point in many ways, and, and historically you see violence escalate at such moments in history. Uh, and then meanwhile, there are, um, you know, very profit-driven interests involved in, um, a, you know, um, perpetuating a very, a very strong message about threats to the Second Amendment when um, most of the gun owners that I know are actually quite moderate on the topic. So it's one, of, you know, it's one of those things where if everything you're hearing on the news or out of the mouth of a politician is like somehow dissonant with everything you're hearing on the ground with people, it's like, mm -hmm. who, where are those people? I know they're out there, but I think it's a, um, it's, it's a very loud minority, and that is so much of the political discourse today. Let's go to Ethan in Carlisle, Kentucky. Hi, Ethan. Welcome. Uh, tell us what party are you in and, and what do you think that uh, what's an issue where you differ? Um, hello. Um, up until very recently, I would say Republican, but that's changing horribly. Um, but I've always believed that God and religious ideology should be kept out of politics and legislation. 
All right. So you think uh, that, that maybe the Republican Party uh, is getting a little too far on the church side uh, of church and state. Um, what do you think about that, Mary? Well, that leads me to, you know, studying more about when evangelical um, was kind of adopted within the Republican Party. And that seems extreme for some people. I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, you look about religion and faith in America, and more people are unchurched than they ever were. Mm -hmm. So that sort of a kind of attachment of the GOP to the evangelical movement is going to be more dissonant, to use what Sarah had just mentioned in another call, with what's happening on the ground. So where is that going to play out long term? Well, do you think that, especially with Latinos making up a bigger share of the population, that we're going to see more uh, religion in politics rather than less? Latinos are not very, are just like everyone else. I mean, there are an awful lot of evangelical Latinos, frankly. And even a lot of the, Catholics, though, right? Coming from Mexico. A lot of Catholics as well. But, um, you know, a lot of immigrants are more indigenous. And, you know, they don't have quite the same attachment to the Catholic Church. Um, you know, it's just, it's more of a mix than what people assume. I don't think that, you know, Latino voters, for one thing, you can't always count on them to be Democrat. That's an assumption that you'll hear from the platform of many Republican candidates, but it's not always true. And they're getting less and less so, it seems like, according to the polls. Less and less so. I mean, part of that is a disconnect with immigration, and part of it is, frankly, just economic conditions. You know, when people prosper or when they don't, immigration is never the top issue for Latinos. And they can vote. They're really kind of splintered. We're kind of like the big, giant vote out there for either party that needs to grab. Uh, you can reach out to us at 844-4MIDDLE. That is 844-464-3353 or at listentothemiddle.com. Let's take a look at some of the comments that are coming in online. Karen in South Carolina says, I was a Republican until Trump was elected. He unleashed something horrific in our country and made it acceptable to certain people to be fascist, homophobic, sexist, and violent. Lyndon in Rhode Island says, I'm a Republican who disagrees with my party about the 2020 election. If there was any fraud, it was far from enough to change the course of the election. And Mandy in Atlanta says, I affiliate with the Democratic Party, but I don't think abortion should be legal in the third trimester. And we'll be right back with The Middle. This is The Middle. I'm Jeremy Hobson. We're live from KCUR in Kansas City, Missouri, right on the border of Missouri and Kansas. In Missouri, there is a Republican governor who is not up for re-election in Kansas, a Democratic governor who is. Now, we are asking you this hour, what is an issue where you disagree with the political party you affiliate with? Our number, 844-4MIDDLE. Our website, listentothemiddle.com. Our guests, Mary Sanchez, a longtime newspaper columnist and reporter for Kansas City PBS, and Sarah Smarsh, a journalist and author of Heartland, a memoir of working hard and being broke in the richest country on earth. Let's go to the phones again because we are getting a lot of calls uh, right now. Let's go to Dwight, who is joining us from Mission, Kansas. Dwight, welcome to the middle. Hi. Um, I am a lifelong Republican, and the thing that I am the most disappointed about with the Republican Party today is that it seems to no longer value the truth. And how do you see that? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. Go ahead. Go ahead with your question. Well, how do you see that playing out, uh, Dwight? What, what, give me an example of something that really stands out to you where they don't value the truth. Are you talking about election denialism? 
particularly election denialism, um, all of the proceedings around the January 6th event, it's become so obvious that the truth is right there in front of us. We saw what happened that day. We've heard all the testimony with the uh, committee that's been investigating, but yet there are still people willing to say right out loud, and, and if you say something often enough and loud enough, some people come to believe it, they keep saying that it just didn't happen that way when we all saw that it did. Did you watch the January 6th hearings, Dwight? I've watched parts of them. I've listened to more on NPR. I've heard a lot of commentators, especially on the coasts, during those hearings say things like, everybody's already made up their mind. These hearings aren't going to change any minds. Do you think that that's true? I think if people will listen with an open mind, that their minds will be changed, that there are not enough open minds left. Dwight, thank you so and much. We have too many election deniers who are running for office today, and it makes the decision very difficult. I'm not voting a straight party ticket this year. Well, Dwight, thank you so much for uh, calling in. Uh, that, another call there, sort of about the Trump wing of the Republican Party uh, upsetting Republicans, Sarah. Yeah, I think that um, Dwight's call is a good point to discuss um, propaganda and disinformation in this political moment. Uh, how can it be that the facts are right before our eyes and yet we seem to be in this post-fact um, reality? Uh, there, It's probably not a coincidence. We know it's not a coincidence that that tracks with the era of social media and its algorithms that are designed to put people in their silos, keep um, feeding them a loop of what they already believe until that calcifies to such dangerous levels that uh, one can be shown the facts and refuse to believe them. Uh, let's go to Janice in Berwyn, Illinois. Janice, welcome to the middle. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for um, being so here. So I wanted to call because I'm a very liberal Democrat. Um, I've been um, a loyal Democrat since I started voting at 18 years old. And I, um, I really believe in abortion health care. And it's just a struggle for me that my party doesn't continue that my body, my choice when it comes to vaccines and vaccination mandates. We don't have universal health care, so we have people vaccinating themselves and then getting um, adverse reactions, and now they have to carry that bill and miss time from work. And um, it's just really sad because I feel like they're trying to do the right thing for society. But then with us not having the services in place to really support them, they end up um, shouldering that burden. So, and so yeah, I sorry, really just, wait, just, just so I understand, there. Janice, just so I understand what you're saying, you're saying that you're upset that your party uh, has has been wanting mandatory vaccines, the Democratic Party? Yes. And yeah, and pushing for um, vaccine mandates and also mm -hmm. taking away exemptions from parents. Because ultimately, the parent or the person has to make that choice, and they're the ones who are going to be solely responsible for the outcome. If they have to miss work because they get flu-like symptoms for three days, mm -hmm. that could threaten their employment. We have so many people living paycheck to paycheck with no safety net, and we're not providing that safety net for them, but we're pushing mm -hmm. them to make this choice. Uh, did you get vaccinated for COVID-19, Janice? 
I did not. Um, okay. I actually had a previous adverse reaction mm -hmm. to the vaccine, um, not to COVID, to another one. And mm -hmm. looking at the ingredients, there were enough similarities. And unfortunately, there's no way for me to find out what okay. I was originally reacting to. Well, Janice, thank you for your call. Uh, I have to say, uh, Mary, it's interesting that 45 minutes into this hour is the first time we hear about COVID-19, which uh, obviously consumed everything in all of our lives in the last couple of years. And now for some in this country, it's starting to fade into the background, but obviously uh, not for Janice. No. And um, actually some of the people that I report with here in Kansas City keep saying re recently, these are um, more people who work in um, street work, uh, some women that, you know, their COVID is very real. Uh, one of the things though, about how COVID was rolled out and the vaccines that was that was a really missed moment, um, frankly, for Democrats, and this goes to what the caller is saying, is that there was already so much vaccine hesitancy in the United States within many, many populations. Mm -hmm. And they really didn't address that from the forefront, not knowing, you know, it was kind of brought out like, well, here is COVID is so devastating, it was killing people. But they didn't allow for that that there was already a hesitancy that was here, you know, and the science could have told them that. But it that wasn't built into how the vaccine mandates and things were rolled out. So that resistance was already there. Um, but that's a misstep. That's a political misstep. Uh, it's been interesting, Sarah, as we've traveled uh, with this show to different states the last few weeks, we've seen different levels of COVID precautions in different places. I will say last week in Florida, not a lot of people on the west coast of Florida wearing masks. Here in Kansas City, more of a mixed bag. Yeah, I think that um, that's one of the interesting phenomena of the pandemic is how it revealed um, while we're living in a, a globalized, um, digitized realm, it's it's still um, there's something about the 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 local character of a place that that shows up in uh, human behavior and. The, the pandemic certainly revealed it uh, in some interesting ways. And, and I also find this area to be sort of a, a mixed bag and sometimes even crossing county lines um, hmm. changes how many masks you see. Uh, let's go to Tim in Madison Heights, Michigan. Tim, welcome to the middle. Thanks, Jeremy. Tell Listen, us, about, yeah, what party are you? Lifelong yeah, I've been a lifelong Republican uh, since I was old enough to vote. And uh, that amounts to roughly 46 years. And I am just tired of the hyperbole from the party, uh, their inability to commit, and their inability to directly address any kind of realistic issue. Uh, for instance, when Kevin McCarthy recently came out with his commitment to America, you know, I, I look at that, and I read a good article in the Post recently about that in contrast to Newt Gring, you know, Gingrich and what he did back in the 90s. I mean, it just seems like the party leadership, they're, they're going after the, the wrong constituent base. They're, they're really insulting the intelligence of, you know, what, what to, to this point I thought was the Republican constituency. And they're just missing on a, on a, lot, of, a lot of strengths that they used to have. Have you heard uh, Republicans talk about what they plan to do on the issue of inflation? Because this has been one of the big issues that many Republican candidates have been running on. Uh, but Democrats have been pointing out that we haven't heard a lot of details about what exactly they would do to, for example, bring down gas prices. 
No, no, there's there's been nothing about that. It, 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 you know, the, the the four pillars that McCarthy came out with recently. You know, they they talk about freedom and financial, you know, stability, you know, and 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 security of the nation and everything. But but they didn't outline anything. And and it's almost like they're they're waiting for the big surprise. You know, elect us in the midterms, and we're gonna you know we're gonna give you all this. But they haven't put down facts. They they have no they have no score list. So what are you going to do uh, in this upcoming election? You're in Michigan where there is a governor's race uh, going on. What are you going to do? There's a yeah, there's a there's a hot governor's race right now. And, you know, we've had some good Republican governors. We've had some, you know, pretty good Democratic governors. And, and right now I, I just I'm just not liking what I'm seeing here. You know, the, the Republican committee here in Michigan just has not put out candidates that I think are capable of carrying on the, uh, you know, the, the Republican agenda. So you're going to vote I for Gretchen that, Whitmer? You know, well, we might do that. Okay. Right, <laughs> we well, just have to do that. Well, Tim, thank you. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Sarah, what do you think about that? Uh, that this is a Republican who says he's been a lifelong Republican, but he's not hearing the details from the candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, the polarization of this moment being so extreme leaves both parties or both sides, if you like, in this sort of um, uh, you know vicious cycle of reacting to the other and saying, we're not doing that and vilifying the other. Um, and uh, there, there's less onus, frankly, on politicians to define and differentiate their own very specific policy views um, when politics have become so identity-based. And leaning into that um, is problematic for the country and, and certainly for, for voters like that caller. Mary, uh, would lacking details work here in either Missouri or Kansas with a candidate if they're just going to run by attacking the other side? Could Not they with many people. I mean, Missouri's a show-me state. Uh, The reason is, you know, show me, show me the facts, tell me more. We're also the area where, um, you know, Bob Dole, senator from Kansas, and, you know. um, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Dwight D. Eisenhower and uh, Jack Danforth has been politically active, asking for that civility to return, you know, and just common sense, which is often, you know, related to the Midwest and the middle. So I think. I think more people are in line with what the caller is saying. And frankly, they're not all older people. Um, you know, sometimes you hear that and, and, and there are older people who remember the Bob Dole era and the John McCain and the reaching across the aisle when there actually was reaching across the aisle when D.C. politicians, you know, they golfed together, they had dinner together, that sort of thing. Um, well, we have had on this show at least one caller who has come in from the coast. Last week, we had a caller from Philadelphia, which is fine. Uh, so let's go to Central Maine. Let's get another coastal state on here. Lola in Central Maine. Welcome to the middle. Hey there. Hi. <laughs> go ahead, so Lola. I tell am, us. I, I was raised in a very conservative family. Um, I... I'm queer and grew up in central Maine, which is pretty conservative. Um, So I feel a bit on that reaching across the aisle in the sense that I am now like quite far left of liberals. um, But I am still very pro common sense gun control. Um, I don't believe in outlawing all guns and I'm pro death penalty in situations where there is no question of 
the person's innocence or guilt. Um, for example, like the Parkland shooter, mm-hmm. I am pro death penalty in that situation um, and other very specific instances like that. Well, it was interesting, actually, uh, after that, uh, I guess you would call it a verdict or sentencing came down, not giving the Parkland shooter the death penalty, both the Democrat and Republican running for governor in Florida, that would be Charlie Crist and Ron DeSantis, both said that they were upset about that. Uh, Mary. Yeah, well, I think some of that was perhaps uh, political. Um, Frankly, the caller is just a perfect example of how complicated most people's views are, um, particularly as they age. You know, what, how they were raised, what they were told when they were raised by their family or their church or their peers often becomes different with their own lived experience later. And here she has some very, you know, it sounds like they're conflicted views in terms of painting how politics looks at those issues. But they're not. I mean, for the caller's life, everything makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You know, she has reasons. Sarah, why do so many issues, do you think, this is, a, this is the million-dollar question, why do so many issues become so political where the parties decide this is our stance and this is where we're going to be and we're not moving on this one, and if you're with us, then you have to believe this as well? Yeah, I think that the sort of toxic nature of that approach to um, American politics has a lot to do with our two-party system, which frankly um, just can't contain the nuance and complexity of what is in the you know the the reality. In um, a perfect example, the the caller who just shared, um, her, you know, a bit of her identity, her place, her background, where she is now. Um, and no, nowhere in her, her the sentiment sh- that she shared was that, that I detected a, a sense of anger or vitriol toward anyone. Um, and yet there are so many aspects of what she shared that would be plucked by the various parties and weaponized and leveraged um, for, uh, you know, just the speci- specific purpose of defeating the, the, the one side across the aisle. But she represents, she contains multitudes, you know. So, like, we need a politics that contains multitudes, and I think that's what we we're, we're facing again and again uh, in the modern political era is that um, largely we have become more liberal and progressive as a society on social issues, frankly. Um, that just bears out in numbers. Um, and meanwhile, there's a, you know, like uh, economic crisis, and then you have these two parties that are vying for um, votes by way of, um, you know, these very hardline definitions of what it means to be a Republican or a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Most people don't fit into those boxes. Uh, we're hearing from some listeners on our website, listen to the middle.com. John and Louisiana says none of our Republican delegation will even talk about climate change. They only defend the oil industry. And uh, somebody in Arizona, Mr. Sir, I don't think that's a real name, <laughs> says perhaps politics could benefit from operating in a way like sports does. Every player in basketball is tracked relentlessly on their playing and performance record, their career stats. Uh, thanks to everybody for calling in at 844-4-MIDDLE. We'll keep checking your voicemails if you didn't make it through to the show and at listentothemiddle.com as well. But right now... It is time for what is now, since it's the third time we've done this, Notorious, Anthony. This is Notorious, what we what we have coming up here. It is. It is the pinnacle of civility. <laughs> we are talking about the needle drop. Okay, Sarah, Jeremy, and Mary, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pull out this record from a Kennett, Missouri-born songstress who sold more than 50 Already million. Already got it. Oh, Already got it. Well, let, well, let him finish his thought. <laughs> no. Continue. No. Let's hear it. Let's oh, hear dude, it. Keep going. Okay, so you have to identify who this artist is. 
<laughs> All right, y'all play. are too good. Here we go. Cheryl Crow, boom. <laughs> All right. Congratulations. That was really good. Uh, Sarah, that was fast. Um, I will say, I'm a little bit Anthony, of a okay, challenge for you, Anthony, next week it's yeah. going to be really hard. I know I told you I didn't want people to you know, not be able to get it, but now we have to make it. You know, you've been talking about issues that affect people for the past hour and yep. we let you loose, but I didn't know that you were going to come yeah. like that with that knowledge. Wow. Good stuff. Do we All get right. to ask questions back? <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore because we're out of time. But um, DJ Anthony Valadez, Kansas City PBS uh, senior reporter Mary Sanchez, and journalist and author Sarah Smarsh, thanks to all of you. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. And next week we'll be live from KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona. It's going to be the day after the election. We're going to be asking you what the results mean for your community and what your hopes are for the work that can get done by your elected officials. Call us at 844-4MIDDLE or reach out at listentothemiddle.com. If you love the show, by the way, tell your public radio station and subscribe to our podcast. It is called The Middle with Jeremy Hobson. The Middle is brought to you by Long Nook Media and produced by Alex Ashlock, John Barth, Sam Burmis-Dawes, Cece Fadape, Lisa Napoli, and Harrison Patino. Our technical director is Steven Steigman here at KCUR. And we couldn't do this show without the help of the team here, Chris Pruitt, Ron Jones, Sarah Morris, and Danny Alexander. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Haig. Thanks also to Jason Croft and Lily Duncanson at our partner station, WILL, Illinois Public Media. And of course, the more than 500 public radio stations that are making it possible for the whole country to listen to the middle. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Talk to you next Wednesday from Phoenix.